when it comes to ensuring human rights and global supply chains, how do we move from principle to practice? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's easy to give lip service to the notion of guaranteeing human rights at every point of the supply chain. No one would argue with the idea that each individual who contributes to the making and movement of product should be treated humanely, given a fair wage, and be subject to decent working conditions. But it's not so easy to put that idea into action. And global business has certainly earned its share of black marks in the past for tolerating egregious violations of human rights in factories, mines, farms, and other locations. So how can we assess whether companies are really serious about protecting human rights around the world? One answer lies in a new report published by the Economist Intelligence Unit and sponsored by the law firm of Weiser Mazars LLP. It's called The Road from Principle to Practice, Today's Challenges for Business in Respecting Human Rights. Joining me to discuss the report is Howard Dorman, a Weiser Mazars partner and U.S. leader of human rights for the firm. Let's find out whether business is really committed to human rights. Here's our conversation. Well, Howard Dorman, welcome to the program. Bob, thank you very much for having me. What are we talking about when we talk about human rights? What does that mean? We're talking about the protection of the individual's human rights, the respect of that right, and how do we remedy if someone has been abused, for lack of better words. And are we talking about all aspects of rights, or is it essentially the workplace? Because that often is the highest profile thing, factory conditions and, and things like that. Does it extend beyond that? Well, I think in everyday life, we'd like it to extend beyond that. The context of our uh, our survey was dealing with workforce conditions. But if I can just spend a moment and give you some backdrop, you know, post-World War II, the United Nations mandated that all governments must respect the rights of individuals. And I think we can look around the world today and say they've not done a very good job of it. And back in 2011, the United Nations mandated, uh, through a study with um, several Harvard people, especially John Ruggie, that it's time that corporations now respect, protect, and remedy the rights of individuals. And they've done this through the guiding principles, and that's something that your readers or listeners can can look up. So the onus is being put onto the corporations. And I, and I think the reason for that, Bob, is that a lot of corporations now are larger than 
in, in gross dollars and gross national product than a lot of the countries. And they were looking for a way to hold someone accountable for that. And that's really the uh, genesis of this. So as far as you know, when a business person is using the phrase human rights, it's understood they take it to understand exactly what you just meant as well, that larger picture of, uh, of, the, of the principle, the guiding principles of human rights, as opposed to just something more specifically related to employees on the, on the job and, and stuff like that. Correct, because it's just not about the employee in any physical, it's also the way we treat the employees. All right, so this was a global online survey over what, 850 respondents, am I correct? Yes, that? that is correct. Not just C-level executives, but also independent human rights specialists and experts, and uh, a, a pretty good pretty good sampling of, of different types of people who are key to this subject. Yeah, we were, um, it, it, it met with great, great response. Uh, we, about 48% of the uh, respondents were C-level or uh, C-level or board level. The remaining pieces would be people that are governed with corporate social responsibility. They could be directors, human resources, people like that. So those were all company people in various sectors, including financial services, manufacturing, technology, and healthcare. Is this an ongoing survey, or is this something Wiser Mazar has done for the first time? This is something we've done for the first time. Uh, we were um, one of several sponsors of this. The report was published by the, the Economist Intelligent Unit, and the other sponsors included, besides Wiser Mazar, um, Mazar, which is the, uh, our global, global alliance of accounting firms, several NGOs, a law firm, and a manufacturing company. So we had a very good cross-section of sponsors. But nothing to compare it against in terms of a previous study, no previous benchmark that you can say, well, according to this survey, it's X percentage better or worse or the same. It sounds like you're kind of st establishing a new starting line here. Absolutely. I think, I think one of the items that came out of the survey was people are looking for benchmarks. So let this be the first global benchmark that we can hopefully measure off for year to come. Okay, well, here's one result I understand to come out of the study. 71% of business leaders said their firm's responsibility to respect human rights goes beyond mere obedience to local laws. How seriously can we take a business person when they say a thing like that and not just have it be lip service on their part? Well, that's going to be the challenge that we face. I think in today's times, some companies think they're doing the right things. And, and, a, and a small example of that can be if you look at any corporate social, uh, corporate sustainability report that companies publish annually, it talks about how they are making the world a better place to live in. And they're very, very beautiful Dr. Seuss type reports about how they're uh, controlling their environmental issues. When it comes to the human rights side and the way they treat the employees, there is some reporting out on it, but a lot of them are making philanthropic contributions to organizations. Uh, that's not what we're looking for. What, what we're looking for is going to be the start of something special going forward. So they could tell us that 
it's beyond the local laws, the proof is going to be in the pudding. It's, you know, do they know it and how do they show it? So maybe next year, the next question will be, so 71% of the people, what have you done? Have you done this, this, or this? So it's going to be a journey down the road. Because on the environmental side, we have the term greenwashing. I'm wondering what the equivalent is on the human rights side of a business executive who does just give lip service and make it part of image kinds of advertising that we've seen since the dawn of advertising, practically. And and we know that over the years, um, there has been what you refer to as lip service, but things have happened in the workplace, in the supply chain, that have been catastrophic to, to people and how that's harmed their brand. So, you know, they have to understand the drivers. Why do we have to do, why should we do this? You know, we do respect the rights of the employees. We do this, this, and this. To do more is going to cost us more money. For what you want us to do, we just can't do that today. Well, you have to look at it. Is it, is it, how important is it to your business model? And that's the point we're trying to drive home on this. Well, it's good to hear that 44% of respondents say that human rights are an issue on which CEOs are taking the lead, but it's less encouraging to hear that only 22% of your respondents said that they have a publicly available human rights policy. How important is it to have that? Well, that goes back to your first question. When 71% of the companies wanted that believe it's they do more than you know abiding by local laws, And the question was, well, how do you report that out? Well, I think companies are very reluctant because this is, it's not quantitative data. You know, on environmental, they can publish greenhouse gas effects and things of that nature. When it comes to human rights, it's a very slippery slope to report out that, yes, in our supply chain this year, we had this happen or that happen or, or a building collapsed and 13 people died. There's a, a, a reluctance to do that. Uh, I'm sure in the U.S. we're such a litigious community that the board and of council are very reluctant to report out on this. So we're going to have to take it slowly. And hopefully that number of 22%, once they understand the value and the business drivers, that 22% can increase every year. Because we will be faced with more regulation. And once there's more regulation, there's going to be more reporting. Yeah. Well, here's a non-quantitative question. I'm not sure that it's easy to answer or even possible to answer. But do you just get an overall sense that there is a heightened concern in the world today, in the business community today, about the importance of caring about human rights? I think there's so many reasons why we should. And it, you know, it's not... It's not only because it's the right thing to do, but companies have to be aware of brand awareness, brand reputation. What is the cost of replacing an employee if there's no loyalty within the workforce? So there's, there are definite business drivers to make this happen. It's going to go back, you know, when you look at some of the statistics, 48% of the companies are driven by CEOs. What a great number. That means that it's starting at a high level. And if a CEO is going to be commissioned with it or held accountable for it, you know that it's going to be embedded into the culture of the company. What's going on with those other 52% of the companies, that's a concern. What is your sense that, I mean, other than monetary reasons, 
do you get a sense or did they tell you whether there were any specific incidents or things that have happened in the last few years that have especially woken people up to the issue of human rights, whether it was the Indonesian factory collapse, whether it's uh, conditions in Chinese factories, whether whether it's conflict minerals, I don't know. But are there any specific things that you've heard out there that you think are true drivers toward a heightened awareness of the importance of human rights? I think it's all of the above, especially where such a socially conscious, such a socially conscious climate today with the advent of you know, the Internet and, and the NGOs out there and how quickly information is uh, sent around. I think companies have to be very proactive with this. Currently in the EU, they are requiring more reporting. The EU is requiring what they call integrated reporting, where you integrate quantitative information, financial information, like a normal financial statement a company issues, together with qualitative information, all these soft things. So they're now taking this from being a voluntary and, you know, and publishing a beautiful sustainability report to now including this in filings and reportings and public information. So there's a, a reason to have it done. So it's a shame that we have to do this reactively and through regulation. You'd think that our society in the year 2015 would be far more advanced than that. Well, isn't regulation by its very nature reactive? Yes, we don't get is. the regulations till we get the uh, the thing that causes it to be enacted in the first place. But again, I'm trying to understand and trying to parse some of the different aspects of human rights violations around the world, of which there are so many. I'm wondering which areas are receiving in the minds of corporate executives today and human rights specialists as well, which are receiving the most attention and maybe for that matter, which kinds of human rights violations are getting the least amount of attention? Do you have a sense of that? Well, unfortunately, at this point, you know, the, the benchmarks aren't there, but this, this road, this journey covers several different aspects, how we carved out the human rights. And just, you know, a, a couple of examples could be gross human rights abuses. It could be access to justice. What if you are being wronged? And that wronged doesn't mean that you're getting physically beaten, but there could be um, holdbacks in your pay or you're being paid below a certain level. And if you report this, you know, what is the effective remedi- you know, remediation to it? So there's a fear of retribution. Education and access to technology. What kind of money are companies investing in for their employees? But what we see in the news, we see in the news the horrific items. You know, we see in the news in Bangladesh a building collapses, 1,100 people die. But, but if you understand what surrounds that, about, and this is going back to Bangladesh uh, 18 months ago, the factory collapse. Approximately two to three months before that, that factory was certified by a third-party agency as to its conditions, its workplace conditions. Check the box, you know, is this happening, is that happening? And it got a pretty decent grade, if I remember correctly, a B or B-plus grade, building collapses. What, what went wrong? Well, they failed to notice that, number one, the windows were barred from the inside. They failed to notice that the doors were barred from the inside. The building only handled 500 people. There were 1,100 people in it. So... Certification, again, is a reactive way to go. Who's doing the certifications uh, and to what purpose? So some of the systems and processes that we have in place 
are not going to work that way. That's not how. So from that, that's what we see in the news. Or we see conditions at uh, Foxconn several years ago. The only way that the employees can voice their opinion is to jump out of six-story windows and become martyrs to the conditions, which eventually the company succumbed and increased the pay rates, and they did this and they did that. You can't pin it on one or two particular areas because there are many abuses, not only the physical abuses. It's hard to find a major manufacturer of, say, apparel or high-tech or something like that these days who doesn't have some kind of affiliation with an inspection initiative, at least on paper. Uh, everyone's rallying around it, but the details, I guess, is where things get a little bit you know, complex, right? Correct. And it's very simple to walk into a building and do an assessment. It's a plain black and white, a vanilla assessment. You check the box, and you total up the scores at the end. But what you're not finding out is what are the policies and procedures that the companies have in place to ensure that these human rights issues won't surface? What involvement does the community have in this? What does the community hear? You know, here you got somebody, a certification team comes in, who are they going to deal with? They're going to talk to management, and they're going to get management's take on what's going on. Are they interviewing the employees, and are the employees interviewed have no fear of retribution of what their answers are? Are they going into the community and talking to the community about, what do you hear about that company that's going on there? So it's, it's a life of its own, and what we've reduced it to in the last couple of years is just being very myopic and not looking at the full journey here and then requiring companies to do something. Why not take a company down a journey and show to them the value of going through this process? Well, again, on paper, a number of companies claim they're doing that very thing. But um, whether that's actually being carried out as promised is another another question. Also, I think the human rights debate, when we use that term, I think we often talk about what you and I are talking about today, that on-the-ground stuff, the quality of work in a factory, the amount of wages, um, you know, what a particular worker is being put through. We don't look at like a larger question of like an authoritarian or dictatorship kind of country, which is a violation of human rights, but it's almost too big an issue to get your arms around. You know, have you... Ever heard of businesses that have actually exited a country just because the country was not did not allow for basic human rights in terms of free speech and free assembly and stuff like that? I believe when the building collapsed in Bangladesh, Walmart decided it was easier to exit Bangladesh at that time. Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure that's the answer. You're just putting a Band-Aid on it because what's going to happen is if somebody's going to exit the country, are they just going to set up shop where they can get away with it again? Now, I, I think I'd like to accent the positive and look at what some companies have done where they'll go into a region, and I know this is being done now in, in Miramar, which is really a, a virgin area. You know, they're tapping the natural resources. The country's opening up its resources for companies to come in. And... What these companies are doing, they're making a very major investment in the infrastructure, uh, physical infrastructure, educating people, building schools, and trying to deal with a workforce that's going to become a more loyal workforce. 
And I think larger companies can do that, that uh, have the resources that look at this as a long-term. They look at Miramar. They know they're going to be there for a long-term process. Let's go in with the right attitude from the very beginning. That's, that's what we'd like to be seeing. Fix it on the ground as opposed to, as you say, just running away from the country altogether. Right, right. Yeah, and for instance, in the Congo, with the conflict mineral situation, some companies find it more, more convenient to just exit the Congo altogether and not make the distinction between which mines are conflict mines and which are not. Right, which is, which is a sound decision. And you would hope that the ones that do that proactively for the right reasons, because they don't want to, again, for them, they don't want to tarnish the brand, they don't want to put themselves into a corner, in a report out, that's what they would state. So I think the public would like to hear that, that we exited such country because of the conditions that are going there or the, the, the government, the way the government is treating the people. So that's what we would expect if a company was going to report out uh, about their operations throughout the world. Do business people acknowledge that there is a cost involved in respecting and improving human rights, a cost they're willing to pay? Well, you know, the statistics... In the survey, um, they said that 26% of the com- companies lack the training and education. So that's a major overhaul. It's a major uh, cultural switch. And if the companies are willing to make that investment, what's going to be in it for them? So you have to go back to the drivers. Is it going to drive sustainable relationships with the communities and our business partners? Is it going to protect the company's brand and reputation? How's this concept? Meeting employee expectations. So these are things that were all spelled out in the survey, but it all comes back to the same thing. That's a big, big investment to make. If it harms, if it harms any of these drivers, it's going to have a cost effect to the company, without a doubt. Yeah. You do mention, I believe, in the study, a lack of training and education is one of the most common barriers to progress in that area. What are some other barriers to progress? A company's lack of understanding how we're responsible, you know, how, where our responsibilities lie. Education and training means different things to different people within the organization. So the people that are charged with governance, they're the ones that are going to need to embed this into the people down the line. Education and training at the manager level or in the factories takes on a different life. But I think once companies understand what their responsibility is and how it's going to enhance their company, then I think we're heading in the right direction. I think companies are looking for more benchmarking. Almost 40% of the company um, would like to see benchmarks along these ways. So I think over the years, we'll see that to start to develop. Access to reliable, independent information. If a company is going to report out that this is what we do, these are our processes, these are our policies, we've made some mistakes down the road, but here's what the end result is, what would give the public confidence that that information is is good? So that's where companies would look to have assurance done. If you look at a financial statement, you provide an audit, you provide assurance. Well, you could provide assurance also that the company's policies and procedures are in alignment with the company's goals. So when there's enough reliable 
people out there that can process this information and give assurance, then I think the companies will feel more comfortable. Yeah. Well, okay, so we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you what I, I think might be the, the ultimate bottom line question, maybe one that's not answerable in the context of your study, but I'm just wondering what you're feeling about it is, and that is, do consumers care? Do they care to the point of refusing to buy a particular product or boycotting a whole a brand altogether? I think in 18 months ago when the building collapsed in Bangladesh, I think it was the California teachers' pension that pulled out half a billion dollars out of Walmart stock. So you have, besides the level of responsibility that a corporation has, you have a lot of socially conscious investors that can make an impact. Now, the consumer, can I give you a, a personal story on that? Yeah, absolutely. My mother and father grew up in Poland. My mother and father both survived the concentration camps and the war camps. As a child growing up, we weren't allowed, as my brother and myself, to purchase certain products that were made by Germany. Backward thinking, maybe, but in, in a way, Bob, it's, it's an informal protest. And I think, and I, we, you know, we didn't do any studies on how the consumer is, but I think today's consumer is so far more educated with the flow of information that there are situations out there where there's grassroots communities sprung up all the time. Well, that's good to know. Uh, the survey, as I understand it, is called The Road from Principle to Practice, Today's Challenges for Business in Respecting Human Rights, published by the Economist Intelligence Unit and sponsored by Weiser Mazar. Howard Dorman, I want to thank you so much for being with us today and helping us to understand what's in the report and give us a glimpse and maybe some hope into a new awareness of, of human rights in the business world and supply chain and in the world in general. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with attorney Howard Dorman of Weiser Mazar's LLP, talking about whether global business is truly committed to protecting human rights. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.